Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive, Patient Safety Radio. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo. Well, today we are going to talk about a new book titled From Heart to Head and Back Again, A Journey Through the Healthcare System. It is a provocative work that is part manifesto, part autobiography, and part manual. And it is written by my dear friend, Thomas H. Dahlberg, Sr., with well over 35 years of extensive healthcare leadership experience, Tom is a voice for relationship-centered and compassionate care, servant leadership, and quality and systems improvement. An author, leader, and advisor, he is also an internationally recognized speaker and writer with an expertise in health caring models, heart and mind communication, courageous vulnerability, systems thinking and improvement, stopping bullying, adverse childhood experiences, and bringing love in action to all we do. He is a father, husband, and coach, a coach to healthcare leaders, and a coach to young men. Tom has written the book, The Big Kid in Basketball, and the lessons he taught his father and coach, where he shares stories of bullying, resiliency, parenting, coaching, faith, family, and love. He is also a contributor to the book, Bullied Back to Life, focusing on how victims of bullying have used their experiences to fuel their success and how you can too. And he is a contributor to one of my books, which I'll just say is an Amazon best-selling book, Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. It's an anthology for healthcare providers, patients, and family members who desire to understand how to better connect with one another. Tom believes at the end of the day, it is all about impact. And knowing Tom, He's impacted me, and I am ready to share him with you. So welcome back, Tom. Oh, I am so thrilled to be here, Pat. Thank you so much for having me again. Oh, my gosh. I could do this with you every day. It's just so fun and easy to talk with you. Uh, I appreciate that, (laughs) and I always think fondly of our other sessions and, of course, the feedback even your mom provided on our sessions. Yep, absolutely. Long long ago, but uh, yes, 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 I agree. Now, Tom, you coined the word, and I mentioned it up at the top as I was uh, speaking of you, you coined the word health caring. Just before we start into your book, share your thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting. Throughout my career in healthcare, it, it was always about, at least early on, it was about the science and it was about the evidence. And over time, I got to learn about that evidence. And I got to learn of the limitations of the clinical research, of the evidence base that we always want to use to improve care. And I also got to learn of the importance of compassion and of empathy, of listening, of being kind. And what I found over these many years is that when we combine the best of the best evidence with the best of the best of our heart, we truly move health care to health caring and to a statement you mentioned a moment ago, that's where we really get the impact. That's where we really get the positive impact. The best of the best science melds it to the best of the best compassion. That's how people heal. And sometimes, as you know, Pat, a lot of people that we're um, blessed to care for and care about are not necessarily on a, on a healing journey, but they're on their dying journey. And to be able to, again, provide them with the best evidence-based care on that journey and to be compassionate, to be there, to hold them, to do what they need from their cultural perspective, from, from what's their preferences, it leads to a, a, an improved dying journey that's more caring and more compassionate. Thank you for mentioning that, because often those end-of-life conversations and issues and thoughts are kind of, um, 
oh, I don't know, people don't want to deal with those and it's hard to deal with. So it's a good thing to think of ahead of time in health caring at that moment. It's the last moment. It's the most important moment. So thank you for thank you for talking about that. Absolutely. And in fact, in my current work, doing a lot of work around um, serious illness in those conversations, mm -hmm. which melds so well into the palliative care space in those conversations. And it's so important. And um, I'm blessed to work with a team that understands, yes, we need to marry the science and we need to marry the, the motivational interviewing is one of the terms that is used, but it's really about that being human together and creating a safe space for that important and very challenging often conversation. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. To get to your book, I want to step back for a minute because there's always that pivotal moment in a writer's life when the idea for a book goes from being that quiet rumbling in your mind to the moment that you actually put pen to paper or fingers to computer or however you write. <laughs> Was there such a moment for you and the book Heart to Head and Back Again? I think it's a couple of different moments. One of them was actually my my bride had said to me often, Tom, you need to write the book. You need to tell the story of your own um, health challenges and and what you saw within the healthcare system. And you need to truly marry that to the perspective of a healthcare leader or someone who has worked in healthcare and and, and share that with others. And 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 my bride, who I call Doc. Um, she was telling me that or, or sharing that or providing that wisdom often. And then on top of that, I was actually being interviewed for someone else's leadership book, and they turned off the tape and they said the same thing. And, and my bride and I put our heads together. We said, okay, we're in a place now where we can – my bride's a nurse – we can take a year um, and, and manage that financially for, for me to now write that book, to put it out there, to try to – to try to help, and it's a book that really the intention is to shine a, a light on the the flames of good within the healthcare system that we need to continue to fan, and shine a light on the opportunities that we have to improve the system, and in doing so, doing it together. Mm -hmm. So not pointing fingers, not going to that place of shame and blame, but rather let's do this together because together we can move from healthcare to health caring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think often when people think of a healthcare book, they're, you know, the initial thought is, oh my gosh, can't read that. It's, it's just too heavy and it's too much. But you wrote this book in, in such a way that it's very, very compelling. The chapters move. Let's just talk about the format because you include your reflections and questions, which I think is brilliant. It just kind of ties that whole chapter together. Let's talk about how you came about with the format and what your purpose was to write it that way? Well, it's interesting. My, my intention going in was I wanted to create a journey for folks, a journey from healthcare to health caring, and, 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 and all of us get on that path. And our paths may look a little different, but be on a path together towards that place of health caring. And the way we ended up doing it with the book was part of that journey was my journey in, in healthcare as a patient, and a patient in a number of different ways, including being a critically ill patient that was told he'd never work again and to get in line for a heart transplant, and quite frankly, not knowing if I was ever going to leave the hospital. And so I, I meld that um, journey within the stories, and then at the end of each chapter, 
from now a healthcare leader perspective, or again, someone who's working in healthcare, reflecting back on some of the meanings of what was taking place, some of the perspectives that was coming, uh, taking place, and, and looking at it through a different lens. And then after the reflection in most chapters, there's also questions for folks to, to sit back and, and, and look in the mirror some, sometimes and, and really question ourselves as leaders, as, as people in healthcare, or as family members, as caregivers, and also question the system. And again, think about how can we make this better? And there's a call to action within the book. So as people are going through this and if they feel similar, great, let me know. And if they feel dissimilar or feel they have a different perspective, oh, my gosh, yes, I want to hear. Because the intention, again, is not to uh, say this is the right way and the only way, but rather there are many ways. And let's find a way together we can make things better. Absolutely. It's a, it's one man's journey, but as I said at the top, it is part manifesto, part autobiography, and part manual. And I think it's that autobiographical component of it that makes the book so oh, relatable and compelling. So uh, I applaud you for, for the way you put the book together. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it was interesting. My son, who the Big Kid in Basketball, my other book is about um, predominantly, he, he has a podcast now called uh, Strength Through Vulnerability, and it's really highlighting his own vulnerability in, in the area of mental health and, and some other challenges to help others. And as I was writing this book, and my son was still going through, and, and we all continue on our journeys, but he was more in the heart of uh, part of his journey, I was learning from him, and I was learning about vulnerability. And there were some chapters I was like, no, I don't want to say that. That's... And I said, no, I need to say that. I need to let people know that even though, as an example, even though at that point when I got ill, I had been working in healthcare for 15 years. I had known uh, the CEOs of the hospitals and of the, of the hot centers and so forth. I knew all that. But even with that, when you're sick and when you're scared and when you're afraid of, you know, where am I going to live or how am I going to provide for my family or I look weak to my children – I wanted those messages to get out so that others knew they weren't alone. Mm-hmm. And again, I learned that from my son um, as he's been doing that. I wanted people to know whether you're in healthcare for 30 years, 50 years, 10 years, or not in healthcare at all, you're not alone. This hits every one of us. And again, only together, learning from one another, can we make things better? Right, right. It seems like you have a very special relationship with your son. You have learned a lot from him. Obviously, he has learned a lot from you. And you mentioned his podcast. And let me just say that that young man's voice, he could uh, recite the alphabet and I would just sit and listen to it and clap. He's just, I love his voice. I love his message. I love his podcast. But that voice is dreamy. It's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, my my bride says that all the time, too. It's Clearly, I don't have that, so that's a gift from my bride. That's yeah, he's he's terrific, and and you're right. And what I love about it is he combines his 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 gift of voice with his heart and with his mind to help others. And I think that's really really powerful. Well, congratulations to you because obviously he has a fine father mentor in his life, so good man. All right, I want to skip around with things that just struck me within your book, so maybe I'll go a little non-traditional here, but you talked about failing forward, and wow, did that, that just really captured my mind. What do you mean by failing forward? 
the term itself, I learned when I was with the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, and we we're doing quality improvement. And in the quality improvement space, you do small tests of change, and you have theories that you test, and sometimes you're absolutely right and life is good, and sometimes you're absolutely wrong. And so you, quote, fail, but you learn from it, and then you make things better. And so you fail forward to get to that next better place. And so that really struck me. And then as I was writing this book and I was reflecting back, I was thinking about all those times I failed. And every one of them uh, uh, I learned from. And maybe I didn't learn from it immediately. Maybe it took 18 times with the same thing before I could learn and, and grow and become a better person or a better leader. But it's those places of failure that I learned to, to not be afraid of it because it's going to happen and it's going to happen to all of us. And often it's going to happen in public, but it's okay because we're all failing or going to fail at some point. And the point is we need to get ourselves back up. We need to learn from it. We need to think about it, learn from it, let it go, and then move to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And so that was really profound for me. And again, the term came from NICHQ, the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, and I try to, and I still try to embrace that um, each and every day because, again, we're all human and we're all going to fail. And the important thing is learn and continue to make things better. Oh, yes. I was thinking as you were just speaking about embracing it. And actually, it's almost something to look forward to um, because when you're failing forward, you're moving in the right direction. So I think whether it's healthcare or not, this is a pretty important concept for people to um, think about regardless of what they do in life. Failing forward is just a very positive way to look at what one would consider a failure. It really isn't. Exactly. And it, it, that's such a great point. It's like, well, how do we define whatever it might be? Do we define failure as getting something wrong? Well, we're all going to do that. We're going to fail all the time. And then that's true. Or do we find failure as a, 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 a stopping place to reflect, to learn, and to get better? So in healthcare, Maybe uh, folks might say that, yeah, there are certain aspects of healthcare that are really, really, really broken. They are. There are. And there are many incredibly good places, but staying at the place that is broken, well, some might say it's a failure, and then they dwell in it. We can't do that. This is life and death for many, many people. So we need to, again, acknowledge any failures, learn from those failures, and then come together, not in a place of shame and blame, but in a place of let's get this right. Mm -hmm. Let's continue to learn and get better. And even as we're learning from one failure, it might lead to another failure and then another failure. And that's okay. I think it's Michael Jordan had talked about, he's, I'm going to totally get the numbers wrong, but something like he took 8,000 game-winning shots and he like only hit like 300. And again, I think I'm way off on that. But the point was he still, took, he still kept taking the shots and – he kept working on his game to improve how he took the shot, how he got space, how he was able to get the right uh, 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 body movement, how he was able to get the right spin on the ball, how he was ready to uh, mentally be prepared to take that shot so you continue to learn and grow and make things better. You don't stay and wallow. You, you may be there for a little bit because we're all human, but then you get yourself back up and take that next shot. Thank you for that. Thank you. All right, I'm going to skip over to financial incentives because that's something that I think you and I have talked about that before. I just think it's something that needs to continually be addressed. And you say that financial incentives, um, hospitals getting paid financial incentives, may temporarily change outcomes, but they do not change hearts. 
So the question is, can people really be incentivized to care? It's, it's interesting. We do that all the time. We, we, the, the mantra I hear often is, well, I'm not going to do it unless I get paid to do it. And we hear that in healthcare. Now, I remember sitting with a quality improvement leader in Maine, and this person said, well, I can't do that, which happened to be the right thing, because the financial incentives are not there to drive that. And, and it just floored me. I'm like, we need to do the right thing because it's the right thing, and we need to figure out the financials, but we can't wait for the financials. And so out of um, uh, Harvard Business Review, there was a study about financial incentivizing, and what they found was there's actually a negative impact in many, many ways when you try to incentivize such things as caring, because now instead of looking inside and looking into my heart and, and, and the love and care I should have for, for my for my, for my, for, for a per, another person, for another human, regardless of, of where they're coming from or what they've done, I should have that innate love for that person. Oftentimes, when you start to incentivize people to care, now the way, well, I can't love that person until you give me another, you know, another boost in my paycheck. And so it actually creates this extrinsic need for financial or other incentive as opposed to looking inside that intrinsic feeling and, and behavior change to make things better because I truly care as opposed to I'm getting paid to care. And I think it's really, really important that we be mindful of the intended consequences and the unintended consequences of some of these things. Because clearly, we need to keep hospital doors open. We need to ensure that our nurses and our folks, are, all my our folks on the front line are getting paid appropriately to live life. And we need to be very careful when we get into the place of, well, I'm going to give them more to do X, Y, or Z, or I'm going to give them less if they don't do X, Y, or Z. So uh, it's a really important area that we really need to study further. I don't necessarily believe, I don't believe you can incentivize someone financially to care. Mm -hmm. I think you need to care about those people yourself. You need to let your nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and others know you love them, you care about them, and you truly do, not faking it, but you really, really must. And that means that you must create the systems which allow them to honor their calling, which keep them safe, which keep them best positioned to help and love others. That's how you get into a more of a health caring system. I think the health care system is the one that's more driven by financials as opposed to heart. Mm -hmm. So is love a dirty word in healthcare? I'll say it this way. It definitely used to be. And, and I remember, um, God, in my 20s, I, I used the term love once. And my boss, I don't, you don't say that. You don't say that. But now I hear more and more CEOs and others of hospitals. And, and they're older people that have probably been through much more than I've been through, at least at this point. And they're starting to say it's about that love. And, and I'm like, yes, there is that light because people are starting to see it. And if they've always seen it, at least now they're starting to verbalize it and they're starting to lead that way. So be it heart-centered leadership or, or other uh, terminology in that space, people are starting to talk about it more. It's still not overly prevalent. I remember back in 19, let's see, was it? No, it was, it was 2008, I believe. I was part of this uh, healthcare leadership group. And I also mentioned heart and referencing love. And, and again, it was uh, people looked at me like I had 18 heads. Now we're 12, 
years down the road, and mm-hmm. some of those same people are now saying hot, mm-hmm. and they're starting to say love, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's really, really important. Thank you for being a trailblazer. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, it, it brings joy to my heart to hear more and more people reconnect or to connect with themselves and bring their own heart into it. And mm-hmm. I've learned from so many amazing people mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take. It's going to take people of integrity, people with compassion and love in their heart to really change and turn the dial in healthcare. We, yes, financial models and, and, and incentives and so forth. I, by the way, I've done all those things. I, I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've created brokenness in the system, and hopefully I've created goodness in the system. Mm-hmm. We need to continuously learn, fail forward, and make things better, marrying heart and mind, and hence the title of the book as well. Yep. The book is for patients, providers, actually everybody should be reading this book. But I think the fact that you, as a provider, and you obviously were a patient too, but you're kind of showing other providers that it's okay to lead with heart and lead with love. And so I think that's why, one of the reasons why this book is so, so very valuable and important. Now, I was also reading in your book, and I didn't realize this, that you were involved with military healthcare at one point in your career. Let's just talk, where are we today? Are we in a better space when it comes to military healthcare? A couple of different things. So one is when you say healthcare provider, so I was always on the healthcare administrative side. However, when I first started my career, I was a um, I was a housekeeper and an IVA and a transport aide, and those people are providers. No one keeps you safer in a hospital than your housekeeper, and no one and I and you know from my book, no one felt helped me feel safer than my transport aide in many cases when I was in the hospital. So I just want to be clear about that. And then around the healthcare piece, we're making inroads, and I remember. I, I actually had two um, significant opportunities to work in the healthcare, uh, military healthcare space. And my family, a lot of my folks, uh, a lot of people in my family are, are, are military. And so I felt a calling there. One up in Maine where I got to meet amazing uh, veterans and spouses of active duty folks as we created a model to care for them. And then more recently, working within the VA system and bringing hotline communication to the to the folks on the front lines there. And I remember, Pat, sitting in the lobby and talking to these veterans and talking to the veterans who are also caregivers and, and, and other people within the system, and so many of them, so so caring, so amazing, so such a community. And if you really think about an organization that has the opportunity to go from healthcare to healthcare, it's the VA system, it's the military system, because you know they use the term brothers and sisters in arms. They truly are, and they love one another, and they care about one another. And many of these folks come to the hospital because that's their community. They're not necessarily ill at that moment, but that's where they can go and get that emotional support, and in many cases, that mental health support, because they're back together. So I think there's an incredible foundation to improve care in the military space, and I believe and I've seen inroads into doing so with such things as hot mind communication, helping people reconnect um, uh, with their own self so they, they can I've heard these I've heard these quotes back to me so they can, they can live again so they can, they have the strength, they have the courage and, and also that vulnerability to go seek mental health care because necess- that 
ne wasn't necessarily fear, uh, seen as something a strong leader would do was go get help in the mental health space. I think more and more are starting to understand you can be vulnerable and you and that is courageous in and of itself and you can get help. So I definitely see many lights of opportunity and many of these lights being followed within the military healthcare space. Excellent, excellent, thank you. I apologize when I said provider of healthcare, I didn't mean as a physician, but when I think of you, I, th I think of you as a provider because you're providing so much wisdom and care and love. So kind of a provider. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but I just didn't want to mislead anybody yes. because I, I often, I've heard, you know, Dr. Dahlberg, I'm like, no, I'm not oh. a physician, so I don't want to, I won't even pretend I'm one on TV or radio or whatever it might be, uh, but I appreciate that. <laughs> You're funny. Take off that lab coat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, years and years and years ago, I just had my knee reconstructed, and back then in 1984, I think it was, they put you in the lake cast for like 11 weeks. So talk about evidence base. Oh. You're never in a lake cast nowadays with an ACL reconstruction. Mm -hmm. you're, you're basically up and moving day one, 11 weeks, full leg cast from my hip oh, wow. to my ankle. Wow. And, but I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to uh, give up on the people I cared for. I was a transport aide at the time. So with this full leg cast, I was still pushing people in gurneys and, and, and wheelchairs and mm -hmm. so forth through the uh, local community hospital in Brockton, Massachusetts. And uh, I was wearing, uh, for that role, I would wear a, a, a lab coat, like a mini lab coat. <laughs> and, and, and people would constantly think I was a physician. And I'm like, no, no, nope, just a transport aid. But even saying that, again, lesson learned. Yeah. I said, just a, just yes. a transport aid. Yes. I minimized the role yeah. of transport aids, and I've learned over time, my gosh. Wow. The people in healthcare, no one is a justa. You are a transport aid or a housekeeper or a respiratory therapist or a nurse, and what you do is incredibly important. And so, again, I just, you made me think of another lesson learned on my own journey. Yes. You know, you talked about that in in our book, uh, the, the anthology, Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare, and, and you talked and told that story about being a transporter and how important your role was. You were more important to those people than the doctors or nurses just because you were there with heart taking care of them with, with every bit of your soul. It was a beautiful story. So I, I again, thank you for sharing that. And uh, we just learned something again right now, didn't we? We certainly yeah. did. And, and it's amazing, like in that role as transport, uh, working in transport, I got to see some of these people that were in the hospital a long time every day and multiple times a day yes. where the physician and others really didn't. So I was blessed to have the opportunity to create relationship and trust with the, with many of these people. And it, I, I'm, I swear I healed uh, so much myself mm -hmm. as I was being with these, with these other people and trying to help them. Oh, I have so much more I want to talk about. So actually I think I'm going to, um, <laughs> Population health and your Star Trek quote. I liked that one. The needs of many should not outweigh the needs of one. Let's just touch on that. So I am definitely a uh, Trekkie or a Trekker. I, I think the term has evolved over time since I think 1966, if I remember right, when the first Star Trek series came out. And there's uh, an episode, and actually within a couple of the movies, where um, – Spock talks about the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the needs of the few. And then they, he learns over time that you can't lose the perspective of the one as you're trying to care for the many. And it really, for me in healthcare, we need to, again, be very careful 
be very mindful, I say be very helpful, that we understand as we're focusing on population health, we don't lose the importance of the individual within it. We don't lose the importance of the individualized patient care as we're trying to improve and help the entire community. We need to create a balance. We can't sacrifice an individual um, uh, as we're trying to make things better. We need to, basically it's both and. We need to take care of the individuals and we need to take care of the community. You know, when people, you know, the, the, the cultural competence or cultural respect, so both terms are being used now, the patient preferences, the patient and family preferences, we need to hold all those and honor all those and work within all of those as, and, and they're all different as we're also trying to improve the health of an entire community. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that pendulum swings back and forth. And it's really, really important that we understand as that pendulum is, is swinging, the consequences must be measured, must be understood. And, and so I find when uh, that on stage talking about individualized patient care and how important that individual is, and I have people come up to me afterwards and they say, you know, as I've been trying to improve the quality of the entire hospital system, I forget that I'm also caring for that one person and that one person's family. And I need to remember it's both ends. So it, it's a really, Star Trek helped me think about it and, and, and process it further. And we all need to be aware everything we do will have positive impact and unintended consequences. And we need to be aware of both. Oh, see, I, I really wanted your perspective on that, and I kind of knew what it was. It aligns with what I believe, because I think we grab onto these wonderful ideas like population health and run with it and leave the individual behind as we're running toward that goal of many. So sometimes I feel like I'm the only one out there that's still thinking about that one lone person that may not fall into that giant group considered the population. So when I read this in your book, I was heartened. And so I did want to speak with you about that. Thank you for talking about it. And please know you're not alone. And what I just shared, I hear from others and I'm hearing more and more that yes, population health is a is a true goal we need to achieve, and to do so, that popula- we must remember that in population is made up of individuals. Yes, and we need to care for the individual as we get there. So I'm with you. Good, good, good. Are you with me when we uh, when I ask you the question? Do you want to talk about zombies? The zombies? Yeah. <laughs> I am happy to talk about zombies. I love zombies. <laughs> you, you mentioned zombies in your book. I do. I remember, you know, there's all these zombie movies and shows and Walking Dead it was pretty big for a while there and then Shaun of the Dead and all these. And I remember talking to a number of physicians and a number of nurses. And they were talking about how because they're, they became, in their words, production workers, they, they must focus on productivity. They must focus on RVUs, relative value units, which is a way that we reimburse our, our clinicians and so forth. They must focus on, obviously, they must focus on hitting the right button and filling in the right um, uh, section of electronic medical records that they almost got into, and they started using these terms, a zombie state, where it was just come in, make sure you fill in the right buttons, you, 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 you have your encounter, you, you, you fill in the right slots, you, you, you turf, you, you refer out, or you uh, get a prescription or whatever it might be and move on to the next patient. And they didn't have an opportunity to check in on themselves to see how they're doing, check in on that patient and really see how they're doing, 
you know, there, there used to be a stat that um, within 23 seconds, a physician interrupts a patient um, as the patient's telling their story. And that number I saw more recently is closer to 11 seconds. And I don't think that has anything to do with a physician being a bad physician. I think it has more to do with the system that we created, healthcare leaders have created, which are putting physicians and others into this zombie-like state, I must get to the next patient. I must generate a views. I must do these things as opposed to I'm honoring my calling and I'm here with this patient and I'm going to keep them safe and I'm going to hear what they need to say and I'm going to help them on their own healthcare journey. Again, that health caring journey. And, and so it really amazed me when they started using that term zombie and then I reflected back on some of the shows and some of the movies and I'm like, I see it. I get it. I know where they're coming from. And as a healthcare leader, we must change that. We must allow them. We must create the model where they're no longer a zombie, but rather they're a caring, loving person who's brilliant in many, many ways, who leverages the technology and leverages the clinical research and leverages all of um, those, those pieces and bringing them together with the story of the patient and family, with the understanding of those things that those social influences of health or social determinants of health, all of that, big picture, to help people get better because that's how we improve the health of a population. That's how we improve the health of a community. It's all of that. Getting people in and choking them out as quickly as possible creates zombie land and creates adverse impact and doesn't keep people safe, either the patients and families or the clinicians, and leads to harm. Yes, it's a waste of human potential to expect that these brilliant, loving, caring people who can do a job that no other can do to put them in that position where they go in and it's rote. You just go in, go out, and as you said, become a zombie. So need to work on that. Where is healthcare today, Tom Dahlberg, amid this COVID situation? That'll be my last question to you. I know we're hopping around kind of a non-traditional conversation, but I just have so many bits and pieces I want to pick your brain about. So where are we today amid COVID? Where's healthcare? I work for a quality improvement organization in, in the healthcare space. We talk about this a lot. And I use the term silver lining. Now, the pandemic is is horrific, and it's had incredibly adverse impact, as we know, that the death rate and, and the other adverse impacts out there. And some of the silver linings is what we've learned is, again, feeling forward, we've learned the fragility of the current healthcare system. I think some of us sat back on our laurels and said, we're the best in the world. Look at what we've got. Now we see, no, this huge additional opportunities to make things better. A, a silver lining, again, I, I can't think of a better term, is also what this has done is this has spotlighted even more so the need that we all must have to address health inequities, the health disparities. Those, those huge issues have existed and have existed for a long, long time. The pandemic has highlighted it even more so. Those are just two examples. I've also seen, and I'm sure you have too, amazing people showing up. You know, the people use the term hero, showing up every day, especially when we knew less about this virus and what the impact was going to be. But they kept showing up, and they kept helping others. I mean, that's that's another light within the healthcare system. So we're in a place now that we've had a ton of learnings. We've made huge mistakes. We've done some really some really good things too. And now it's up to us. It's up to us healthcare leaders and other politicos and others to come together 
not about shame and blame, but about what did we learn and how can we make this better? And, and I'm blessed, again, with my organization that we are currently doing so within the substance use disorder space, as an example. So we have the pandemic and that impact. And then we have, when you think about veterans, um, you see some of those stats, the suicidal ideation, the actual suicides themselves have increased dramatically during the pandemic and during shutdowns. We've seen child abuse increase. We've seen domestic violence increase. We've seen mental health disorders, anxieties increase. We've also learned we don't have the, uh, the, the people in some of these key roles to help these people. So I think the pandemic has shown a light on goodness and, and brokenness within the system even more so. And now it's up to us to really step up together and make things better and, and truly go from that healthcare space to a health caring space. Because what I found, Pat, is when we truly care, it doesn't matter the payment methodology. It doesn't matter the hurdles. We're going to go through it. We're going to climb that mountain or get over that wall or whatever it is because we care that much and we love that much that nothing will stop us from helping another person. Yes. A lot of failing forward opportunities, right? Absolutely. Yep. Tom Dahlberg, so much to talk about. Your new book, From Heart to Head and Back Again, A Journey Through the Healthcare System. Is there anything we missed? And I'm sure there's loads, but that you wanted to chat about today? As always, I love our discussions. I love where you go, and I never expect where you're going to go, and that just makes it awesome. Um, I, I would like to put just a little more emphasis on the listening aspect of caring. And again, I mentioned the stats, you know, interrupting every 23 seconds or every within 11 seconds. And as human beings, we are, we're programmed to listen to respond. You know, so even if we take the time to listen, what we're thinking about is, well, how am I going to respond to that? And what I've learned over time, we really need to get to that place of listening to understand and really sit in what we're listening to and hearing and then together go wherever we need to go. And part of that listening is going into that place of inquiry, asking questions. We all have our preconceived notions. We all have our biases. We all have all these things, our shadows, our projections that direct us in different directions. And we need to learn, again, looking in the mirror, to ask the right questions and then listen truly to what we're hearing. And sometimes what we're going to hear is not what we want to hear. And it's going to be against everything we possibly believe in. But it might be a truth. Mm -hmm. it, it, it could be, a, a, it, it may not be our truth, but it might be someone else's truth. Or it could be a truth that we simply, it, it simply is, that we weren't aware of. And so I would simply want to stress a little bit more how important listening is to all we do if we truly want to seek, uh, see improvement in, and create health caring. Yes, listening actually um, creates that space for a learning experience. So true. Yep. So true. I mean, how many of us, and I look in the mirror, think, oh, I know it. Mm -hmm. I got that. I've been doing that for 35 years. Of yes. course I know it. No, mm -hmm. I know some. And what I know today may be wrong tomorrow, even if it is right today. Yep. And so, yes, we must have an open hat and an open mind if we truly want to listen, grow, improve, fail forward, and make things better. Yes. Oh, I think I say this to you every time, but I just love you. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, Pat. Uh, these, these, these times with you are just extraordinary. Oh, I agree. I agree. All right. I want everyone to know where they can contact you and most importantly, where they can get a copy of this book and your previous books as well. So share all. 
Absolutely. So from hot to head and back again, a journey through the healthcare system actually launches on October 20th. So today, as we're doing this call together, you can find it at Amazon. You can also go to health-caring.org and you can learn more about the book, of the book, more about more about me, more about um, other books that I highly recommend, including Pats, which mm-hmm. is an incredible book in and of itself. And uh, folks can also reach me at um, Twitter at, at tdahlborg, D-A-H-L-B-O-R-G. And in my book, I actually include my cell phone and my email because, okay. again, we can't be alone. We need to do this together. And I hear from folks so often. You said it earlier today in our call, too. You felt alone, like you only thought that way. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people who feel alone, and we can't be alone, and especially during the pandemic. We need, you know, there's been studies about the impact of loneliness, sure. uh, that it's more dangerous to a person than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, I think was the latest study I saw. And we can't feel alone anymore. We need to come together and help one another. So I want to be there for folks, too. Sometimes I'll actually have an answer, and sometimes I'll be there, just like we talked about. I'll listen, and I'll create a safe space. Yeah, so if anyone's feeling alone, let's let's get a copy of Tom's book, From Heart to Head and Back Again, A Journey Through the Healthcare System. Uh, you can contact him there and chat about what you, what you think is good, bad, and different, and he's there for you. Health-caring.org, Thomas H. Dahlberg, Sr., Thank you, uh, just from the bottom of my heart, for being who you are. When I thought about you before our conversation, I thought, here's what I like about you. You care, obviously, but you think, and you think deeper than most, but then you take it a step further and you share. So you care, you think, you share, and you can't get anything better than that. Tom Dahlberg, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Pat. Uh, like I said, it's always a joy to be on these calls with you. And it was such an honor to join you and 31 other authors for your highway to hot humor and honesty in healthcare. Uh, again, another brilliant book that will impact many at a hot mind level. Oh, well, I appreciate you. I put you as the last chapter because it was the perfect chapter to end the book. So there you go. <laughs> it was I appreciate that. Thank you, Pat. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.